Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. You can remain seated. I'm going to go ahead and dive into the Word of God this morning. I got something fun I want to share with you. I want something exciting. We've just had a, a marvelous week. VBS was tiring. Again, you guys did way more work than I did, but I enjoyed being here and doing whatever I could to help out and just watch the amazing things that happened this week. So this morning, I want to talk to you about finding grace. The title of my message this morning is Finding Grace. As it's described in the Bible, is perfect, unwarranted favor from God. In Genesis chapter 6 and 8, the Bible says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The world was literally facing destruction. Nearly the total annihilation of every living thing was on deck at Noah's time. But one man and his family were given escape. Why? Because of grace. Because of grace, that most powerful thing, that most glorious, wonderful thing that God is still pouring out on us today. And if you could be there in that group and watch those little ones praying together and watching the Holy Ghost fall on them and experience that time with them and feel what we felt, you would know what the awesome, ultimate, pure, perfect grace really felt like. It's incredible. Everywhere in the Old Testament, it's all over throughout the Old Testament, finding grace in the sight, finding grace in the sight of the Lord, finding grace in the sight of God, finding grace, God uh, found grace in the sight of God, and so on and so on. So that phraseology is used continuously throughout the Old Testament. It wasn't just in relation to God Almighty. Sometimes it was in relation to the leader or the captain or the guard or the general or whoever uh, or the prophet, but continuously used again and again and again Finding grace in the sight of. When it said that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, that means that he was given perfect, unwarranted favor by God. That's why he was given the escape. That's why he was given the plans to build the ark and to save his family. Oh, he tried to save more. Oh, he tried to minister, but he wasn't received. The grace was extended, and you're going to hear that here in just a moment. The grace was extended to more than just Noah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want to talk to you again about finding grace. Amen. You can turn to John chapter 1. I love the first part of John chapter 1. I quote it all the time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and so on and so on. Love that part. But I'm going to take you down to verse 14. Verse 14 reads this way, and it says, and the word was made flesh. See, that's part of that part I like a lot. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, not judgment and anger, not decision and wrath, but full of grace and truth. As a matter of fact, grace preceded truth. I think truth is pretty important. We got to have it all right exactly as God wants it. We need to know the truth, amen. But grace even preceded truth in what Jesus came in, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. Why? Because he was before me. 
Come on, from the foundation of the world. And in his fullness have we all received and grace for grace. What does he mean right there when he says and grace for grace? The fullness and grace for grace. You know what that means, grace for grace? It means continually, constantly. Grace over grace over grace. You know why? Because we're humans and we fail and we mess up and we hurt one another and we do things that aren't pleasing to God. But God is bringing that grace after grace after grace. That's what he means there. For the law was given by Moses, but there it is again, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus said it himself, he didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill the law. What did he fulfill it with? He fulfilled it with grace and truth. One is not necessarily higher than the other. One just came earlier in the order. Shows priority to me. Now, if we're defining grace, grace will always, always rise above any level of sin, according to Paul. He told the Romans, he wrote to him and he preached to him, and he said, but where sin abounded, grace does that much more abound. I want you to know when you look around you out in the world and you get discouraged and you turn on CNN or you watch a little bit too much social media or you spend too much time focusing on the negative, man, this world is saturated in sin. There's just terrible stuff all over us and it's really hard to deal with and you start getting negative. You got to remember what Paul said to the pastors and the preachers and the men and women of Rome. He said, grace abounds greater than any level of sin that you can see or experience around you. That's an encouragement to you. That's an encouragement to let you know because where does grace come from? Grace comes from the fullness that Jesus brought. Amen? He hadn't disappeared. He's not hiding behind a rock. He's not decked out in his parents' basement somewhere. Grace is abounding everywhere. There was a couple, there was, there were, there was children of, of different backgrounds and sorts in our vacation Bible school. Venture I to say that maybe not all of the parents know God yet. And might they be coming from backgrounds that are tough and challenging? They might. But grace abounded above all of that. Above all the experiences they've had in their grade school and all the things that they're dealing with in life and everything that could be going wrong. We don't know. We don't know all those stories. But what we do know is that they stepped in and grace took over and God filled them with a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Seven of them filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost because of grace. Our our very salvation, you have to understand, is rooted in that perfect, abundant grace. Paul told the Ephesians, by the way, if you don't understand Paul, his key word, his key thing, everything, his his launch pad, his diving platform, his his blast-off point, everything about Paul starts. The starting gate with Paul is grace. Read him in every book. Read him in every epistle. He'll explain to you that grace is the covering for all of it. It's so incredibly powerful. But it's important to know exactly what grace means. But he told the Ephesians in 1.7, he says that in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, that's your salvation. Where? According to the riches of his grace. You know what that means, riches of his grace? It means it doesn't run out. It's more than anybody. It's more than anything. There's no king or magistrate or leader or high president or anyone on planet earth that has even an infinitesimal close amount of grace that God can extend. Sure, you can be pardoned by the president. That's an element of grace. That's favor. You can be given high places in other countries and and, uh, ambassadorships and so forth, but nothing on earth matches the riches of his grace. Amen? 
He says in Ephesians 2.8, he tells us that we're saved through faith. How? By grace. Without grace, it doesn't exist. We know that scripture. We quote it all, all the time, 8 and 9. For by grace ye are saved through faith, that not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. Comes through grace. Paul reveals that grace is literally extended to everyone. It's not just a, a special few. Yeah, he, Noah found grace in the sight of God, but like, as I said, grace was being extended to everyone. It's just that everybody rejected it, except his sons and their wives. This gospel is for every person who will receive it. He says in Ephesians 4 and 7, every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Every one of us. The problem is, is that many won't receive it or accept it. On top of all of that, his grace will be all that we've ever need. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that he prayed to the, uh, about the thorn in his side. Remember Paul had a thorn in his side? Now, he didn't literally have a thorn sticking out of his side. Many people don't quite understand what that was. People thought maybe he had a speech impediment, the other challenge. You know what Paul's thorn in his side was? He was near blind. He couldn't see. See, when he was knocked off the horse on his road to Damascus and went from Saul to Paul, he had scales over his eyes. And as as Stephen prayed for him, those scales came off, but he never fully regained his sight. God said, I'm going to remind you that it's because of me and because of my grace that you're even able to see anything. And we need to remember that when we're extending grace back and forth one to another. You see, we're really, really good at accepting God's grace and talking about God's grace, but boy, we're not often as good when it comes to extending that same grace to each other. Amen? And so Paul had a thorn in his side, and that thorn in his side is he couldn't see. And he prayed about that thorn in his side. He wanted that thing to be gone. I'm sure it was terrible. He was writing letters. As a matter of fact, in one of his epistles, he writes in there, look at such a large letter I write to you. He wasn't talked about, talking about a multi-page letter. He wasn't saying, I was writing you a book. What he was saying is he wrote in large letters because he couldn't see. I'm sure that was terrible for him. As a matter of fact, I personally believe, this is First Quartal chapter 1, that the reason people don't understand who the authorship of Hebrews is is because Paul had a scribe write it. Now, there is no particularly ascribed author to Hebrews, but many believe it was Paul. The content and the context and the wording is Pauline. I believe because he couldn't see, because the thorn in his side, he had a scribe write what God had given him. But when he was praying about this, what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. And always remember that. It's grace that helps us make it through life's challenges. You know, the word says, think it not strange when fiery trials come upon you. You're going to endure tribulation. This life will challenge. But my grace is sufficient. Jesus said, you're going to be hated for my sake. Men will revile you. Actually, use the word revile. He said, men will revile you because of me. But remember, my grace is sufficient. Forget about who hates you or who despises you or who hurts you or who doesn't do something right. Because here's the phrase that I often use. If people hurt me, if something happens to me, yeah, I'm a normal person. I get hurt. Things hurt. But do I venge? No. Vengeance belongs to me, saith the Lord. I will repay. 
You know why I don't venge? You know why I don't let those hurts get to me? Because here's the deal. There's no nails stuck through my feet or my hands. I never wore a crown of thorns and I'm not hanging on a tree. I think I can take it if Ted or Susie or Mary doesn't like me too much. Amen? That's grace. See, because grace hung on the cross that used to be up there. Grace says it's sufficient and you can deal with that. Amen? Our access to God's grace is readily available. We need to keep that in the forefront of our minds. Anytime we need that grace, it's always abounding. If you want it, you need it, here's the formula. Hebrews chapter four and 16. I believe Paul wrote, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It's always available. And he even says, come boldly. Come on up and tell God what it is. Come on up and tell God what you need because you will find help in the time of need. Amen? But grace needs to be our identity as well. Paul even said it this way. I love this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. Underline this. Because God is who he is and because Jesus, his fullness was grace and truth, we need to be that. How many know we need to be as Christ-like as we possibly can be? We need to strive to be Christ-like, amen? We need to be full of grace and truth. It's our identity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he wrote it this way to the Corinthians. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am who I am. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the grace of God. Yes, salvation is there. Yes, I followed that process. Yes, I was dunked in the water. Yes, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yes, I read my Bible. I went to Bible study. I went to church. But I want to tell you folks right now, I would not be here in this place. I'm more than likely not alive if it wasn't for the grace of God. You see, understand, you see how I'm I'm expressing that. You can get saved, you can do all the things, you can be in the game, you can do what you can do, but it's the grace of God that keeps us going. And it's readily available if we come boldly before the throne of grace. Amen? Back in Jerusalem, back in the time of the Jews in in, in Israel, the temple, uh, there were three uh, feast times when the Jews were uh, typically required to come to Israel, come to Jerusalem and celebrate and do all those things. Many of you probably don't know that when they came into Jerusalem, that they had to come in by one gate. Okay, Jerusalem was a gated city. It was, there were gates and arches and all that stuff. They came in by one gate. But do you know that when they left Jerusalem, they were not permitted to leave by the same gate? Folks, I want you to understand that the way grace exists and what's available to you is you can come in that gate and walk out something completely different than when you came in. Never leave from the same gate that you came in. Don't ever walk out of the house of God carrying the same burden that you're carrying when you came in. Never walk out of here unsatisfied, unfulfilled, without your miracle, without an answer from God. Don't ever come into the presence of the God Almighty with everything that you need and walk out of here the same way. It's not necessary because you can walk in to the boldly walk up to the throne of grace, present your needs before God and walk out of here a changed person. Amen. You know, 
I'm going to be starting a little series I'm going to be teaching on some of the Wednesday nights coming up. How about our rotation on Wednesday nights? Are these guys doing awesome or what? Amen. I really appreciate all of our guys prayerfully coming, bringing their messages, bringing that midweek message to you. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to give a little grace on this now, but midweek matters. Midweekers, raise your hand if you want to, don't if you don't want to, but how many believe that midweek matters? Come on, folks, we live in a nasty, wicked world. We live with our challenges. We make our falls day by day. We make our mistakes. You can come in on a midweek service and listen to some great teaching, but you can still come before the throne of grace boldly and take care of whatever you got to to catapult you through the rest of the week to get to Sunday to do the same thing. Midweek matters. It's not a throw-in. It's not just something we do to say, okay, God, we're faithful to open up the house of God. I know people work, and I'm not going to get on this tear. I know people have their time and their challenges and their schedule. But if you really wanted to, if you really needed God, if you got that call from the doctor today, and he said, I'm sorry, but it's looking like we're going to have to start the chemo, you're in trouble. How many of you are going to say, oh, I'm too busy to go to church on Wednesday night? Come on now. Who's going to roll in here and say, God, I got to pray. I got something going on. That's okay. Midweek matters. How about those guests that are going to come in on midweek because of life groups and connect groups? God's going to step into the house and he's looking to look at the seat where you occupy on Sunday morning and say, gosh, Ted, I was going to call on you to go minister to Fred over here, but I don't see you. Come on, folks. Midweek matters. The enemy doesn't try to tell you, by the way, I'm talking about identity now. The enemy doesn't try to tell you that you're not something. You ever notice that? He doesn't try to tell you to not go to church on Wednesdays. He might just say, hey, aren't you really busy? Haven't you earned it? You need a break. Boy, job was tough today. Don't you think you could take some time? Don't you pray already? I know you read your Bible this morning. He's not going to say, don't go to church. Don't go over there. You don't need to be there. Midweek doesn't matter. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that with your identity either. He's not going to say, you're no Christian. You're not a person that belongs there. He's going to ask you, are you really a Christian? The way you just said something to that guy out the window of your car? Oh, are you really a Sunday school teacher when you talk to your coworker that way? He's going to get inside there and he's going to start messing with your identity. Are you, really the, are you really a faithful Christian? You won't even show up on Wednesday nights once or twice a month. He's going to ask you, and he's going to create doubt. He's going to challenge the grace that's there. He'll speak doubt into your mind. And that's why I'm telling you today, you must know who you are, and you must identify with God's grace. You've got to know grace has to be your identity. And he's going to mess with your identity. You have to know what you are and who you are and what you stand for. Look at what Paul said Romans in 6, starting at verse 14. He said, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We talked about that a moment ago. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. What was he saying there? He said, does sin just sort of erase the fact that, or does grace just erase the fact that sin exists? No, 
Grace is there so that sin can be taken. It's under the blood. But that doesn't give you carte blanche to just go about and do whatever you want to do and live like a hellion and then come to church on Sunday and everything's okay, right? What he's saying is his grace is there for you, but God forbid you just go and sin willfully anytime you want to and challenge grace because then you nullify it. Grace doesn't give you that carte blanche. And that's why it's so important to understand your identity. You've got grace. It's under the blood. But he's going to expect you to identify with it. And you've got to know. You've got to know your word. Because the enemy is going to continue to come. He's going to continue to attack and continue to challenge. So you've got to be strong in your word. You've got to be strong in your definitions. And you have to know what grace really is. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul challenges the Romans, don't be conformed to this world. You know, the world has a very laissez-faire attitude towards church attendance. And do you know why? It's because many church organizations aren't as concerned with you being in the seat to receive that grace and that word and that teaching and that training as they are as making sure that your check arrives in the office. Come on, right? It's truth. And you know I know I'm right. They're not as concerned. But a godly man and a pastor and a minister is concerned for that soul to be in that seat to receive that teaching and to take advantage of that grace because I know I'm human and between Sunday afternoon and Wednesday morning, guess what? I trip up once in a while. I don't have a good day here and there, but I get to that Wednesday service and it gives me that energy back up. It tells, fulfills me with that grace. God might use me in a Wednesday night service to pray for somebody or encourage someone who comes in who's discouraged because we gotta stop living like this is all about us because grace ain't about you it's about the next person next to you I've quoted this before Rick Warren's book uh, uh, The Purpose Driven Life the general concept of the entire book is it's not about you because if grace is your identity you know that it's the job your job to help extend it to somebody else amen you've got to know who you are seven little ones baptized with the Holy Ghost this week. That's who we are. That's who this church is. That's what we stand for. We stand for extending the grace, boldly teaching, giving them the word, not being afraid to do what's right in the word of God. All right, you ready for this? You want to talk about identity and grace? You want to know the word? Here's who you are. According to verse John chapter three, I am loved. According to Ephesians 1, I am accepted. According to John chapter 1, I'm a child of God. According to John chapter 15, I'm a friend of God. Romans 8 says I'm a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 says I'm united with the Lord and one with spirit in the spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 1, 6 also says I am the temple of the most high God. 1 Corinthians 12 says I'm a member of the body of Christ. Ephesians 1 goes on 
and says, I've been called to be a saint, a holy one, separated. Colossians 1 says, I'm redeemed and I'm forgiven. Colossians 2, 9 says, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But do you know what verse 10 says? It says, and you are complete in him. I am complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not broken. I'm not bad. I'm not irreparable. I'm a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Romans chapter 8 says I'm free from all condemnation. 2 Corinthians 5 says I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 says I am chosen of God. I'm holy and I am loved. 2 Corinthians 1 says I'm established. I'm anointed and I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 1 says I do not have a spirit of fear but love and power and a sound mind. Devil are you listening? Are you hearing who I am and what I stand for? I'm telling you right now he hears it and you're going to hear it. 2 Corinthians 6 says, I'm a co-worker with Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says, he hath raised me up. Ephesians 2 and 18 says, I have direct access to God. I don't have to go through anybody. I don't have to go through a priest, a semi-god. I don't have to go through one person. Access to Jesus Christ. And the devil fears that. John 15 says, I've been chosen to bear much fruit. First Peter chapter 2 says, I'm a living stone. I'm literally building up the house of God. Second Peter 1 says, I've been given exceedingly great promises. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I am never alone. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Philippians 2 says, God is working in me. Do you understand? Do you know who you are? Because I am. Because of grace. Don't ever let the devil tell you you're irreparable, you're damaged, you can't do it, you're not worthy, you're not capable of being in ministry, you're not able to teach somebody, you're not going to witness, nobody's going to come to church by you, because I just read you 20-some things that says that I am a child of God, I am capable, I am repairable, I am going to succeed because of the grace of God. You can stay standing for those of you that are. If I wasn't standing, I would be right now. That's the word of God right there. You remember those. God said, to, God told Moses to go and tell him that I am sent you. Jesus later on said, I am. Well, I just gave you a whole slew of I am's from the word of God. And you can quote them right back to the enemy. You can quote them right back to that voice in your head that says that you're no good, that this thing is failing. We're going in the wrong direction. This pastor doesn't know nothing. You can talk to the devil and you can say, listen here, I am, I am, I am. And I've got access to God because of grace. And you're not going to do nothing about it. Amen? Amen. All these things are true because of grace. Our identity and our responsibility comes down from grace. Listen to what Paul told his pastor friend Titus about every Christian's role. Grace is what teaches us. He says, Titus chapter 2, 11 through 15. I'm going to go fast. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Where does salvation come from? From the grace of God. Hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. Come on. We should live soberly. 
You know what that means? We should live in a way that we don't do anything that changes or challenges our mind or creates inebriation. It does anything that changes the mind that God created. We shouldn't be doing stuff to mess up our head, to make us feel better, do all these weird things. You want to feel good? Stop the prescription drugs if you can. Stop the things that you're doing to intense life and get onto this throne and understand what real grace is. Thank you, Lord. I'll share this story with you very quickly just to give you an idea. If you have not ever stood at this altar and felt the incredible, powerful waterfall of grace pouring all over you to the point where you're weeping like a child and ready to fall to your knees, it's so powerful. Let me tell you an experience. I was in here on a Sunday morning. Some of you have heard this story. I felt terrible. I had a bad attitude. Something had made me mad. I didn't belong in church, much less anywhere near on this property. I had a stinking attitude. Shamed of myself, sitting up there in the front row. Pastor Kylie was preaching, called altar call. I went over there. I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to talk to anybody. I felt terrible. I got on this altar right over here, buried my face on the altar. I don't know what I'm doing here. God, I'm so angry. I'm so upset. You know, I don't even remember what it was. I just remember what a horrible person I was being. I get up from the altar over here just to figure, oh, I'm going to get up and go home. How many of you come down here, did your five minutes and said, okay, time to go get lunch? Well, I wasn't ready. God wasn't ready for me to go to lunch yet. I stood up and there was a person standing right here. There were three young ladies standing right here with their hands up in the air, tears coming down. person right here looked over me and said, Come pray for him. See, somebody in this place knew that God uses me in that way sometimes. And I looked over there and thought, what in the world am I going to do to pray for somebody? And those three precious young ladies were standing there. I said, okay. I walked over and I said, what's going on? They're praying for the Holy Ghost. I said, all right. I'll go over there. Put my hand on the first one's head. I said, here's how it's going to happen. God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Boom, she started speaking in tongues. Put a hand on the second one. Boom, she started speaking in tongues. Put my hand on the third one. Boom, she started speaking in tongues. One, two, three, just like that. God's grace poured out in that situation. I stood there and wept like a baby and repented of what I was thinking and the way that I was behaving. Brother Kylie came over, I fell on his shoulder and I wept like a baby and I said, Brother Kylie, God's grace is so awesome. I didn't deserve any of that. I didn't deserve that feeling. But those three precious young ladies stood there speaking in tongues and worshiping God full of the Holy Ghost for the first time and all I got to do was be a part of praying for them. That's God's grace. We're to live soberly, righteously and godly you don't know the terms and the definitions of what those mean, seek it out and understand. Because it says in this present world, that's in there for a reason because God knew and the writers of the word knew and Paul knew that this world was going to continue to wax more and more evil and lasciviousness and nastiness and improper behavior and things that don't please God. And it says, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us all from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. That word doesn't mean odd or weird. It means precious, like a diamond or a gemstone. He wants a precious people, zealous of good works, meaning I just want to do good. I just want to be good. I want to do what you want me to do, God. These things speak, talk to one another about it, encourage one another, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. In other words, don't worry about what other people say. 
They're going to hate you for it. You're going to be different. You're going to stand out. I don't want to look like or act like or taste like or smell like or walk like or talk like or do anything like what the spirit of the world does to other people. I'll love them. I'll embrace them. I'll understand because I was once there. I was in that pit one time. I know what it was like to try to chase the world and live up to their standards of, of action. You know, you got to show up at parties and throw a beer back and you got to smoke something or you got to cuss like a sailor or dress like a tramp or dress like a, a hellion or a biker or something. I know what the world does and the pressure it puts on. So I can appreciate and love them for that. But I don't want any more part of it because I've got grace. If I need something, if there's something lacking inside here, something so desperate that the enemy's trying to get me to go smoke a joint or drink a beer or do something displeasing to God, look at pornography or something horrible. I don't need that because I've got the throne of grace and so do you. Folks, we don't earn grace, but we sure do live it and we minister it. My last scripture, Titus chapter 3, Paul goes on in the next chapter, 5 through 8, it says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. They, the apostles did their works of righteousness. They, they did good things. They fed the poor. They did all these nice activities. You know, they filled the coffers and they, they did what they could to do good works. But that's not what he's talking about. Not the works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, which is just a partner to grace. He saved us by the washing of regeneration, that's baptism, and by the renewing or the continuing of the Holy Ghost. He said renewing because it happened on Pentecost. But he kept renewing and renewing. And the further they went out in the Middle Asia and preaching the word of God, he kept renewing. And he's talking about the renewing of the Holy Ghost, the continuing of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being what? Justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, he says, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. In other words, live them and teach them that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Peter tells us again, the gift of grace is offered to every man so we should have grace with each other. First Peter 4 and 10, and this altar is open. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of what? The manifold grace of God. You know, if we have grace for one another, God will continue to pour his grace out. You know what that's going to do? It's going to draw people in here. And then the grace is going to fall on them. And God's going to say, hey, Dennis, come and pray for this person. He needs the Holy Ghost, and I want to use you. Hey, Sister Sass, there's a lady up here. I want you to come and pray for her. God's going to move on you. Matt, God's going to use you to work in those guys that you work with, other people that come in the church. That grace is going to continue to pour out, and it's going to exude out of you. If you take hold of it and live it, remember, I am, I am, I am a child of grace. This altar is open this morning. God bless you. I love you. Come and get a hold of what God's got for you. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.